And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth, and a particularly great day for the Michael Medved Show, because it's a day in which we are going to celebrate one of the great American lives of the 20th century. In fact, one of the great American lives in all of our history. This is a very special broadcast that will feature an exclusive interview with the son of the man we are profiling, That man, the 40th President of the United States, a very special show called What Was So Great About President Reagan. And we highlight this story with some music that actually meant a great deal to President Reagan. We'll tell you about its associations as uh, we go along. But this is necessary to do, it seems to me, because since uh, President Reagan's funeral, he uh, seems to have entered the pantheon, and so many people think of him, rightly, it seems to me, as a great president, without knowing some of the details of his struggles and how he got to that position and what he really meant to the country in terms of policy and in terms of personality. So many mistakes about Ronald Reagan. So many people know that he was a movie actor, and they sort of put him aside as a movie actor because that was what he did before the presidency. But he was much more than that. One of the points that Peggy Noonan makes in an interesting book called When Character Was King, a story of Ronald Reagan, it's not meant to be a comprehensive biography. It's a series of her observations, having worked for him as one of his speechwriters, is that of all the presidents of the 20th century, Reagan's background was obviously the most humble. It's actually an arguable point, but Noonan writes in her book that Ronald Reagan's beginnings were the most modest and lacking of any president of the past hundred years. And the odd thing about that is it never quite gets said. But Reagan is unique, she writes, in that his family had no status or standing, was neither the local gentry nor the middle class, had no profession to claim, such as nurse or doctor, and owned nothing, no humble farm or small store. They were renters. They rented extremely inexpensive apartments, sometimes one-room apartments for their two sons. Reagan's father, Jack, was a shoe salesman. Now, this question about Reagan's humble origins compared to other presidents of the 20th century, Richard Nixon came from humble origins, and his father, like Reagan's father, was a drinking man. And uh, his mother, like Reagan's mother, was a deeply religious woman. But Nixon's father owned a gas station and owned a lemon farm, a lemon ranch, and grew lemons. Reagan's parents owned nothing until he bought them a house, the first house they had ever owned, the first property they had ever owned after Reagan began to make his way in Hollywood. The only president of the 20th century who might be comparable to Reagan In terms of poverty, no, not Harry Truman. Harry Truman grew up on a small farm, not Dwight Eisenhower, whose dad worked steadily and was respected locally. The only one might be Herbert Hoover, who became an orphan as a young boy and then had to go out and live with an uncle in Oregon. But this is all significant because we have come to take for granted to such an extent in this country, particularly because of President Bush 43 and President Bush 41, President Bush 41, George Herbert Walker Bush, who was Reagan's vice president, was the son of a U.S. senator. And, of course, 
This President Bush is the son of a U.S. president and the grandson of a U.S. senator. And in between was Clinton. And Clinton, despite all this stuff about the man from Hope, Clinton's stepfather, who he's named after, I mean, he's named William Jefferson Clinton, despite the fact his birth name was Blythe, because uh, his stepfather was Clinton, was a pretty prosperous guy in Hot Springs, Arkansas, who owned a car dealership. Now, I'm not comparing owning a car dealership to the idea of somebody being the son, oh, say, of a governor like uh, Mitt Romney is. His father was a governor of Michigan. And today we are just so full of politicians like Al Gore, for instance, who, of course, is the son of another U.S. senator. So many politicians who come from distinguished backgrounds. It's pretty amazing when you think about where Reagan came from. He was born in downstate Illinois, Tampico, Illinois, a tiny little town. His father never held that much regular employment. He was a traveling salesman, a shoe salesman. He worked in different places, and he drank. And this was the bane of Reagan's existence. His parents seemed an odd match in many ways. His mother, who Reagan worshipped and saw just as a wonderful person, was a very enthusiastic member of the Disciples of Christ Church. She was evangelical. She believed very much in the basic premises of evangelical Christianity. His father, Jack Reagan, was Irish Catholic. And Reagan's brother was initially a Catholic, and Reagan himself made the choice to go to the Protestant side of the family when he was older. But one of the things that he describes in his memoirs is deep embarrassment about his dad. His dad apparently could tell a good yarn. He was charming, as Reagan was charming. He was a handsome man. And he would go for weeks on end as a fairly sober, productive, good father. But then there would come binge drinking. One of the things that Reagan remarked to his friends when he looked back was that as a boy, he never knew whether to look forward to Christmas or whether to dread it, look forward to it because, of course, of the gifts and the joy of the season, to dread it because that would be an occasion when his father would drink and sometimes would be passed out in public and would behave very poorly. In his autobiography, which is called Where's the Rest of Me, Reagan's first autobiography, which he wrote himself in 1965, he described his mother, Nell Reagan, as a deeply religious woman with bright blue eyes who, quote, had the conviction everyone loved her just because she loved them. My father's cynicism never made the slightest impression on her, while I suspect her sweetness often undermined his practical viewpoint of the world. Neither she nor my father had ever graduated from any school but the elementary grades. No diploma was needed for kindness, in her opinion, just as my father believed energy and hard work were the only ingredients needed for success. The idea that Reagan could come from a background like this, about as humble a background as as any president, certainly of the 20th century, and then become someone who changed the world the way he did, should be an indication to people of why it was that he had such a passionate love affair with America. When Ronald Reagan talked about the American dream, When he talked about a country where anything can happen, when fairy tales can come true, where there was a shining city on the hill, he was talking about himself. He was talking about his own experience. A young man who was called Dutch from the time he was little, apparently, at least according to family stories, stories including ones that, oh, President Reagan's son, Ron Reagan, also repeats. This is what 
President Reagan always said. He was called Dutch because when he was a little kid, his father came up the stairs one time to to welcome the, the new birth and saw him there and said, oh, he looks like a fat little Dutchman. And I guess that would today would be called an ethnic slur for anyone of Dutch-American ancestry. But Reagan is the younger of two sons. He had an older brother, Neil, who was called Moon, another nickname that his father gave him, grew up and was always interested in the kinds of escapes that you might expect for a young man who grew up in a, in a home of this nature. He certainly took a great interest in the church. He took a great interest in Sunday school and Disciples of Christ Sunday School. He was interested in art and in drawing. But one of the big tragedies of his life was he couldn't see. And he couldn't even realize that he couldn't see. He wanted to do athletics, but he was as terrible at athletics. And he describes in his autobiography uh, an experience as a young, young man when a ball was hit to him. He was trying to play baseball, and he just had no idea. It just landed right behind him, and he didn't even see it. And it wasn't until he was 13 years old, and he was taking some kind of car trip with his parents, and all of a sudden he picked up a set of glasses that his dad used and decided to put them on, and all of a sudden the world came into focus. He had terrible vision. It was why he was never drafted into the Army in World War II. But he was always, particularly after he began his career in Hollywood, a very conscious of his appearance and tried to avoid wearing those glasses in public. He may have been hard of seeing in terms of the real world, but his vision for his country inspired a generation and more. We will continue with this very special broadcast, a broadcast about Ronald Wilson Reagan, what was so great about President Twenty-one minutes after the hour on the Michael Medved Show, very special edition of the Michael Medved Show. We're doing a special tribute show, which will feature an interview with President Ronald Reagan's son, Ron Reagan. The show entitled, What Was So Great About President Reagan? Talking a little bit about his background in downstate Illinois. His family moved a lot because his father had a tough time making a living. His father was a drinking man. They moved from Tampico to Dixon to Galesburg to Chicago briefly, then back to Dixon, then away, then back to Dixon again. And he basically grew up in Dixon, Illinois. And one of the things that people say, that people on the left have always said about President Reagan to try to dismiss him, is that... He was just a C student, even in small-town high school in Dixon, Illinois, even in Eureka College, which he was eventually able to attend, that this guy who later became the leader of the free world and truly the inspiration and leader and force for change in the whole conservative movement and the country's whole ideology, that this was an individual who just wasn't that bright. I mean, after all, he was a C student in college. He was barely a C student in high school. He was not somebody who was academically outstanding. But that is terribly misleading because when you go back and you look at what Reagan's teachers said about him, virtually all of his teachers commented on his high intelligence. Some commented on his photographic memory. What they did note is that this was a guy who was just interested in other things. 
He maintained that C average because that was the minimum average he needed to participate in extracurricular activities. And boy, did he ever participate in extracurricular activities. He wrote, he was a cartoonist, he, he was actually he was a very gifted artist. When you look back at some of his early cartoons, he drew cartoons of himself, he drew cartoons of the world around him. He apparently was always drawing, and some of these cartoons suggest that he might have had some success following a career as a cartoonist, as a graphic artist, as he dreamed of when he was a child. He was also a writer, and a great deal of his early writing, fictional stories, was certainly, yeah, you could say it was corny, but it's very well written. The choice of words is excellent. The guy knew how to write. And then later, of course, he, he used those skills in writing so much of his own material, particularly his early speeches and including some of his most important speeches of his career. He also wrote a poem, the following poem, that gave, to some extent, his philosophy of life that appeared in his high school yearbook, The Dixonian. The poem goes, I wonder what it's all about and why we suffer so. When little things go wrong, we make our life a struggle when life should be a song. That's what President Reagan believed. For seven years, he had a job that he loved in the summertime. When he wasn't in school in Dixon, he worked at Lowell Park, which was by the river, and there were rapids in the river there, and he was a lifeguard. And it's famous, but it's actually confirmed. You can go back and look at the old newspaper articles. He rescued people from the river all the time. In those seven years, he rescued a total of more than 70 individuals whose lives he saved. That's only the beginning for a man who ended up saving literally millions of lives by his leadership in the Cold War. Reagan always had a sense of humor about his rather mediocre grades in both high school and in college. He once said that the great advantage of being president of the United States was that you could have your grades classified as top secret. He also said when he went back to Eureka College, the small Disciples of Christ school that he attended, he told the Eureka community, even now, this is when he was president, even now I wonder what I might have accomplished if I had studied harder. The truth of the matter is, in both high school and college, if you look at what appears in the yearbook and what the guy did accomplish, his priorities were extracurricular activities. For instance, in high school, I mean, it's hard to imagine somebody being more of a big man on campus in high school. It says under Donald Reagan Dutch, president student body, two terms, president of the sophomore class, Drama Club plays president of the freshman sophomore drama club, football, editor of the yearbook, vice president, art one, two, literary contest and track two, three. I mean, this was a guy who was very busy. And then when he went to Eureka College, he blossomed even more. He played first string football. He became a force on campus. They uh, made some attempt at one point to cut back some of the student services. He led the students in striking out against that. He served two years in the Student Senate and then uh, two years as Features Editor of the Yearbook. He was a cheerleader, like President Bush, president of the Boosters Club, and he was president of the student body. Th there was no question. People who knew him knew this guy was outstanding. But he had a particular interest in dramatics and a particular flair for dramatics, 
And as a matter of fact, despite the fact that it was a, um, a very small school, Eureka entered a big acting competition at Northwestern University, and they got an invitation uh, one year for that, and Reagan was able to compete on stage against uh, some other students in the same acting competition at Northwestern University, students from schools like Princeton and Yale. And he came in second in the overall competition. He was also one of three students who were singled out for a special award. And he was taken aside by the acting coach for Northwestern University in Chicago, which, of course, was a big school, big drama school. And he said, hey, you're good. You ought to go into acting. So he became interested in that. That became a great interest of his. Now, the question was, what do you do when you get out of school? He graduated from high school when America was right on the cusp of the Great Depression, and then he graduated from college when America was deep into the Great Depression. His father had lost his job, and Reagan's first thought was there was an opportunity back home in Dixon, Illinois, to get a job working for $12.50 a week. Well, I know, of course, there's been inflation, so that meant more than it would today, but it still was pretty pathetic. Working for Montgomery Ward, and he wanted that job, and he thought he could get it because they said they wanted a sports star. He had been a football star, well, kind of a football star, first-string football in any event, in college. So he could have managed that sports department at the Montgomery Ward back in Dixon. He didn't get the job. They gave it to another guy, and he was initially crushed. But he had the idea that to follow his dream of going into acting, one way of doing that was radio. Everybody commented on his beautiful voice. And of course, throughout his career, his voice was a huge source of his strength and popularity and persuasiveness. So he borrowed an Oldsmobile from his dad, who was out of work at the time, and he began driving around to various radio stations and seeing if he could get a job. And when he headed to the West, he stopped in Davenport, Iowa, and uh, came into a station called WOC. WOC stood for World of Chiropractic. It wasn't the most auspicious radio station, but it was a beginning for Ronald Reagan. Special program today, what's so great about President Reagan? It's not just at the college level. Students of all ages are being taught a skewed and false narrative about American history. That's why there's no better time to check out medvedhistorystore.com. There are so many programs available to share with your kids. You and your family will walk away with a better understanding and appreciation of this great nation at medvedhistorystore.com. Reagan. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. The words of Ronald Reagan before he became president of the United States, before he even became governor of California. 34 minutes past the hour, part of this special broadcast of the Michael Medved Show. What was so great about President Reagan? Talking about his origins in the Midwest, born to very disadvantaged parents in um, southern Illinois, 
and then went on to a radio career, a radio career first at WOC in Davenport, Iowa, where he got a job broadcasting University of Iowa football games, uh, being sort of a second-string sports broadcaster, largely because of that wonderful voice that you heard displayed there. And uh, he got that job at $5 a game, which even by the standards of the time was not particularly lavish. But then he lost the job at WOC, World of Chiropractic, in Davenport, and then he got the job back again. And then the station combined with a much bigger station in Des Moines, which was a bigger town, of course, the state capital, Reagan went to Des Moines to the great radio station 50,000-watt strong WHO, which also happens to be a proud affiliate of the Michael Medved Show. And for WHO, he broadcast Chicago Cubs games. He did what was called at the time recreation. And this is one of those things where uh, some of us may be old enough to remember this kind of thing. I just barely remember it because when I was a little kid uh, growing up, in San Diego. San Diego was still a minor league town, and they used to do recreations of minor league Padres games, where people would get the information from a teletype or some kind of a clicker, and then they would read it, and they would make sound effects of the bat hitting a ball. The people wouldn't actually be at the stadium, but it was up to the broadcaster to make believe that they were, and to convince other people that they were. And Reagan was good at this. As a matter of fact, Dinesh D'Souza who wrote another very fine book about Reagan called Ronald Reagan, How an Ordinary Man Became an Extraordinary Leader, says that in recreating these games, basically fooling people into thinking that you were at Wrigley Field with the Cubs, and he wasn't. He was actually just in Des Moines, Iowa, in an old run-down building, uh, getting this information and broadcasting the game. Through the descriptions, it, yes, it, it featured Reagan's descriptive power, but it also encouraged him to embellish a little bit. And in fact, one of his favorite stories, which Reagan told over in 1981, uh, after he was uh, president, when he was uh, gave a, a speech to the Baseball Hall of Fame, there was a lunch in the White House, he talked about a time when the line suddenly went dead, when he was broadcasting a game, and it was the ninth inning, and the line went dead. And here's the way he described it. He said, when the slip came through, it said, the wire's gone dead. Well, I had the ball on the way to the plate. And I figured real quick, I could say, we'll tell him what happened and then play transcribed music. But in those days, there were at least seven or eight other fellas that were doing the same game. I didn't want to lose the audience. So I thought real quick, there's one thing that doesn't get in the scorebook. So I had Billy, who was the batter, foul one off. And then I had him foul one back at third base and then described the fight between the two kids that were trying to get the ball. Then I had him foul one that just missed being a home run, about a foot and a half, and I did a world record for successive fouls, or for someone standing there, except that no one keeps records of that kind. I was beginning to sweat when Curly, the monitor in the control booth, sat up straight and started typing again, and the slip came through the window, and I could hardly talk for laughing because it said, Jurgis, that was the batter, popped out on the first ball pitched. But no one knew the difference. Reagan did well, became popular, became something of a local celebrity in Des Moines and throughout the Midwest because WHO was a powerful station. He was known at the time as Dutch Reagan. And he still had an interest, overwhelmingly, in Hollywood. And he had a chance to get closer to Hollywood. He knew somebody from the radio station who had gone out there and was working at least tangentially in the movie business. 
And the great thing was the Cubs at the time trained at Catalina Island. Catalina Island was owned by Phil Wrigley, who also owned Wrigley Field, owned the Cubs. And so Reagan said, send me out. I have a few vacation days. Send me out to Catalina to cover the Cubs. And he was thinking the whole time he could get some audition in Hollywood. And sure enough, his friend from Des Moines took a look at him. She said, you know, why don't you go for an audition? Why don't you go for it? But you got to get rid of those horn rim glasses. You look so much better without the glasses. She said, take off the glasses and never put them on again. He listened to her. And then he went for an audition. And the word came back from the studio guy doing the audition. There's another Robert Taylor sitting in my office. The rest, as they say, may not be history, but it's Hollywood, which was part of the important history of President Ronald Reagan. This special broadcast, what was so great about President Reagan. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. Two writers struggle through a troubled marriage in France until the husband dies in a fall from a third-story window. But then there's a major trial to determine whether it was suicide or murder in the major Oscar contender, Anatomy of a Fall. So, as you know, the autopsy report is uh, inconclusive about the cause of death. Stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point. I was honest about it. I'm innocent, you know that, right? This totally captivating movie is nominated for five Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Director, and more. With a key witness in the trial that takes up most of the film, turning out to be the main character's nine-year-old son, who is severely vision impaired. Much of the film is in French with subtitles, but key scenes also unfold in English, with a stunningly accomplished and complex performance by German star Sandra Hüller. It's rated R for tough language and painful subject matter, four stars for the justly acclaimed Anatomy of a Fall. Forty-four minutes past the hour on this special broadcast of the Michael Medved Show. What was so great about President Reagan? He got his screen test uh, after working in radio for about four years, and the screen test was based upon his clean-cut Midwestern good looks. And when he got the screen test through an agent named George Ward, he wasn't tremendously confident about how it had turned out. It was one of those things where they hand him a script and he reads it and he performs and they get it on camera and then they're going to get back to him. Well, when he went back to Des Moines, where he was working as a sports broadcaster for the Cubs on the radio, WHO radio, they sent back and Warner Brothers made him an offer. It was a seven-year contract to put this guy under contract at $200 a week, which at the time in Reagan's world was a fortune and doing something that he loved doing, which was acting. They sent him the offer through a telegraph, and his agent, George Ward, said, "Uh, what should we do? And Reagan's answer was very direct, sign before they change their minds. And that was the real beginning of his um, movie career. Ronald Reagan had a career in Hollywood that included some tremendous movies and some terrible movies. But in all of them, he was dependable. He was natural. His first part came in a film called Love is on the Air, in which he was typecast as a radio announcer. 
And he very quickly became popular. He became popular, in short, because he got a big break in a movie, Newt Rockne, All-American, playing George Gipp, the role for which he was famous, win one for the Gipper. He had been a college football player. Here he's playing a Notre Dame football player. And it was a particular joy to his father, to Jack Reagan, because Jack Reagan, as an Irish Catholic, had always been a particular fan of Notre Dame football. And to see his son, Ronnie, doing well, gaining fame, playing a Notre Dame legend, was particularly satisfying for Jack Reagan. As was the fact that Ronnie Dutch showed a tremendous willingness to take care of his parents. First of all, that name, Dutch, when they began his movie career, of course, they immediately said, well, what's your name going to be? He said, well, Dutch Reagan. Dutch was an unacceptable name, they thought, for a movie star. They said, don't you have a better name? He said, how about Ronald? They didn't like that one either, but it shows something about the authenticity of the guy that even in Hollywood, he made it without having to change his name at an era that was famous for getting everybody to change names. We'll continue with what was so great about President Reagan. That it shows something about the authenticity of the guy that even in Hollywood, he made it without having to change his name at an era that was famous for getting everybody to change names. He also made it without makeup. He found very early on that his skin had a particular porous quality that held makeup very poorly. So he did virtually all of his movies and all of his TV appearances without makeup, which is ironic. He was very careful to maintain a fairly good tan, but it's ironic because so many of his political opponents said, oh, he's an actor, he's wearing pancake makeup, he didn't dye his hair. His father, who died at the relatively young age of 58, in 1941, his father also had dark hair his whole life, and uh, his grandparents did. And Reagan's hair didn't need to be dyed, and he didn't need the makeup. At the very end of Jack Reagan's life, he was brought out to Hollywood by his son to serve as president of the growing Ronald Reagan fan club. And he handled some of the letters that were pouring in for Ronald Reagan. One of the aspects of Reagan's career was the high point in his Hollywood career, which was a movie called King's Row in 1942. And he did so many films. He did three films that came out that year alone, filmed in 1941. But King's Row stood out. It was a dark melodrama about life in a small town that was far more troubled than life as Reagan remembered it in Dixon, Illinois. And he co-starred with Ann Sheridan and Charles Coburn. The movie was very important to him, and that's one of the reasons we are featuring music from the movie King's Row. The music that you're hearing going in and going out is the great music written by Eric Wolfgang Korngold for that great movie. It's some of the greatest movie music ever written. And Reagan loved the movie. He loved the music, and he loved his big dramatic scene. He plays a playboy named Drake McHugh, who is punished by a vindictive surgeon played by Charles Coburn, who decides that he's going to unnecessarily amputate both of Drake's legs. Ooh, because Drake has been stepping out with his daughter. And Reagan wakes up from the anesthetic and suddenly realizes that his legs are gone, and he delivers a famous line. He delivers it very well. The line is, where's the rest of me? And that became the title for Reagan's first autobiography, which he wrote before he ran for governor 
1966. He wrote the autobiography in 65. He also wrote back in 1942, the same time that King's Row was coming out, a statement for Photoplay magazine, an essay called How to Make Yourself Important, which says a great deal about who he was and his attitude in Hollywood and his appeal. He wrote, A fine and fancy storyteller holds his punch for the story's end, I'm sure, but as I'm a plain guy with a set of homespun features and no frills, I may as well write accordingly. I hold that all of this business about making yourself important by means of externals is no good. Clothes, being seen at the right places, show swank, no. Nor do I believe that you have to be a standout from your fellow man in order to make your mark in the world. Average will do it. Certainly, if I am to serve as my own guinea pig for this little homily, it will have to do it, for I'm not Flynn or Boyer, and well, I know it. I like to swim, hike, and sleep eight hours a night. I'm fairly good at every sport except tennis, which I just don't like. My favorite menu is steak smothered with onions and strawberry shortcake. I play bridge adequately, collect guns, always carry a penny as a good luck charm, and knock wood when I make a boast or express a wish. I'm interested in politics and governmental problems. My favorite books are Turnabout by Thorne Smith, Babbitt, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and the works of Pearl Buck, H.G. Wells, Damon Runyon, and Eric Remark. Lots of kids write and ask my advice about how to make their mark in an indifferent world. So what I'd like to tell them is this. Look, you must love what you are doing. You must think what you are doing is important, because if it's important to you, you can bet your last ducat that other people will think so too. For me... One job in the world I want to do is acting. Offer me ten times the money for something else, and I wouldn't do it. So what happened? Well, what happened is shortly after writing that, he went off to serve the country in uh, the United States Army in World War II. And what also happened is the world demanded leadership. The only job that could uh, take him away from acting? The job of leadership. We'll continue with what was so great about President Reagan. It's not just at the college level. Students of all ages are being taught a skewed and false narrative about American history. That's why there's no better time to check out medvedhistorystore.com. There are so many programs available to share with your kids. Shows on the U.S. Constitution, our greatest and worst presidents, World War II, the Vietnam War, the American Revolution, profiles of great presidents like George Washington, Theodore Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, and so many more. Listen as Michael tells stories from our nation's past and brings them to life in vivid detail. It's never been more important to teach our kids the true story of America's past. Our great successes, our failures, the triumphs, the trials, and yeah, the blemishes. You and your family will walk away with a better understanding and appreciation of this great nation at medvedhistorystore.com. Check out medvedhistorystore.com today. copy of today's show, call 800-468-0464. This is the Michael Medved Show. Ronald Reagan uh, did not develop his interest in the military immediately upon the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. 
Unlike so many other people in Hollywood who suddenly volunteered for the service when their country needed them after the Japanese attack, Reagan had a background in the military. He had spent four years as a second lieutenant in the Army Officers Reserve Corps of the Cavalry. And as a matter of fact, he was supposed to report to active duty in February of 1941, some months before the Japanese attack, but he got a deferment through the intervention of Warner Brothers. He got a deferment and then another deferment so that he could complete important pictures, including a war picture with Errol Flynn called Desperate Journey. But after Pearl Harbor struck and Reagan was supposed to report to active duty with his status as a reserve officer, First of all, they didn't really need cavalry officers. And secondly, he couldn't do normal active duty, partially because of his vision. His vision was terrible. He never wore his glasses. He had been told not to. But he had the kind of vision that could have gotten him a deferment altogether. Instead, he participated in the Army Motion Picture Unit. And the Army Motion Picture Unit, of course, lots of people make fun of it. They uh, used the old Hal Roach Studios, what was called Fort Roach at the time, But they did important work. They made propaganda film. They made training films. They did important work for the country. And Reagan took it very seriously. One of the things that he experienced at Fort Roach, one of the things that he experienced is some of the earliest films to come out of Europe showing the Holocaust, showing the bodies stacked up. And it's film that actually came in its raw form before it was even edited. Reagan actually kept some of the film. He kept copies of it to show his children. It's film showing bodies and and one arm of one living person reaching out from it. It impressed him deeply. Now, later, people would say that Reagan spoke about seeing the Holocaust for the first time and, and tried to pretend that he was there. He never was there. He never was in Europe. He never liberated the camps. But he was one of the first Americans to see such footage, and it made a deep impression on him. When he came back from the war, like everybody else, his career had been interrupted But Hollywood had changed, and he was forced into a political role. What kind of political role? Hollywood, after the war, was torn apart by union activism, much of it organized by communists. And Reagan was one of those leaders of the entertainment industry, along with his good friends Robert Taylor, William Holden, and others, who took a stand against communism. And that stand helped to change the direction of a very successful actor's life. We will continue with that story as part of a special broadcast that also includes an exclusive interview with President Reagan's son, Ron Reagan. The special subject, what was so great about President Reagan in this greatest nation on God's green earth? Go out there and win one for the giver. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. The Zone of Interest is a stunning film that will certainly get some Oscar attention that focuses on the real-life commandant of Auschwitz, Rudolf Hess, and his wife and five children and their attempt to create a sheltered dream life just outside of the walls of the death camp during World War II. The distinguished German actors Christian Friedel and Sandra Hüller play the Nazi operative and his pampered shallow wife with their dialogue translated in subtitles. But the most important thing you hear in the movie is not dialogue, it's the eerie sounds of pain, suffering and death that provide an unseen background during the harrowing course of the film. 
This is an unforgettable invocation of the idea that even in the midst of the greatest crime in human history, people struggle to pretend that everything is normal and in fact honorable. It's rated PG-13 for the shadow of atrocities that are never directly dramatized. Three and a half stars for the zone of interest.